Hello everyone and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, episode 140. My name is Arvid Kahn and I talk about bootstrapping, entrepreneurship and building in public. This episode is called The Forever Transaction. First, a word from our sponsor. Microacquire is the leading startup acquisition marketplace in the world. It is simply the most efficient and free option to sell a startup when you're ready to make your next move. And this week, I want to share the story of Tim Schmidtbauer, a founder based in Germany that sold a startup in Lytics for six figures on Microacquire. And as a first-time seller, Tim and his co-founders had no idea where to start. He had heard about Microacquire through his network, and after doing a bit of research, he was amazed at all the free resources available to get him up to speed on things like due diligence and data rooms and evaluating buyers, all things that are complicated. Now, what ultimately led to them use Microacquire was the ability to list anonymously, and that was important because Tim had no idea what to expect. The anonymity allowed him and his co-founders to start engaging with interested buyers while qualifying them prior to exposing themselves any further. So after listing on Microacquire for just two months, they received 30 buyer requests, and through the process of qualifying buyers, they got feedback on how most buyers assessed the valuation, which led them to be more confident in their final sale price. And in the end, they found the right buyer in the micro-private equity firm called XO Capital that made the final stages of the process extremely smooth. And it can't be understated that everything Microacquire is offering for founders looking to sell is completely free. If you're a founder that's thinking about selling your startup, do yourself a favor and get it listed on Microacquire. The Microacquire team is there to help at every step via email, phone, or chat. And with recent updates to their product with an automated guided acquisition process, it's easier than ever to traverse the acquisition process confidently. So go to microacquire.com to get started. And now we should get started. Next time you're at a gas station or a convenience store, and you're ready to pay, look at all those things that they just shove in front of you, hoping to sell you yet another high margin product. Sugary snacks, soft drinks, processed foods, lottery tickets, that stuff. They call this the impulse sales zone. Every single item is a high margin sales opportunity for them, and it's often unhealthy, mass produced, and probably not the reason you went to the store in the first place. And this says a lot about the kind of relationship that the store intends to build with you. Because they don't want to build one at all. They don't care about you as a customer in that moment. They just see you as an extension of your basket size. That's the term used by merchants to describe the sales potential of any single prospect that checks out their store. How much they can make you buy more than you came in to do. I believe businesses like this are missing out on long-term relationships with that. By focusing it all on the first ever sale, they optimize for short-term profits instead of leveraging network effects and goodwill in the community to build a profitable business and a vehicle of sustained empowerment. They are missing out on the forever transaction. Let's examine the difference between short-term cash grabbing and long-term relationship building today. What pulls businesses in either direction and where are the limits? And then what are the best steps to move towards more sustainable thinking and operations for your own business? When exploring how businesses treat their customers, it really helps to look at the seismic shift in our most recent history, from this pre-internet store model to the world of globalized digital e-commerce. For many places of business, the traditional way of interacting with the customers is purely transactional. You come in, you buy things, you leave, and they forget you wherever they are. What remains of you 
is an entry in a letter, but it's not you. The things you bought made it into their records. You're just a purchasing vessel, a necessity to move their wares from their inventory into their sales records, and that's it. Most stores still operate like that, particularly when they deal in huge volumes or they're located in areas with highly fluctuating foot traffic. And this is the classic pre-internet store. You don't see individual customers as their business. You only see averages and overall numbers. Customer loyalty, that wasn't often considered an essential active component of their business model. It either happened passively by chance or business owners ignored it due to its insignificance because as long as you could increase sales by pushing up sales, you were good. And yes, you might say that businesses have come up with loyalty cards and subscription programs for that kind of stuff, but those are mere extensions of this core problem. Because by making things cheaper for loyal customers, you now have to push your high margin impulse buys even more on both new and old customers to reach the same levels of profitability. A customer that needs to be lured into the store, they're not loyal, they're being manipulated. And if you don't care about building a mutually beneficial relationship with your customer, you start stuffing chocolates and sugar drinks into their face just to maximize your sales potential because it works. You use human psychology to make customers buy things that they don't need. They treat you as a customer as a temporary asset that they can optimize. I consider these kind of businesses to be revolving doors. They want you in and out as fast as possible because the more people come in, the more money they will make. You spending any more time than you need to fill your cart with stuff and paying for it? That's wasted time for that kind of business. You see this in most supermarkets still, even today. They route you through this ever-changing labyrinth of products optimized for shelf height in hyper-detailed planograms, that's what they call it, that aim to make you buy things that you didn't come in to buy. And here's the core problem of this transactional approach. These stores' incentives go against the customer's main motivation. The business wants the biggest shopping basket possible, while you want to buy the three things you came in to buy. And this also creates friction between customers and employees of the business. People who work at these transactional-only businesses are forced to push programs designed to trick people or, as the store would call it, suggest to them to buy more. It creates very tense human interactions if you have to tell people to buy things that they want to buy. And people don't care about the policy. They will remember being rudely interrupted by a store employee trying to push them to buy something. And as an entrepreneur, I don't want my customers to come away from their first interaction with me like that. I don't want them to have a bad experience in those crucial formative moments. That's because I expect them to come back. I want them to transact with me many times, as often as possible. And for that, the transactional-only approach stops working. A new paradigm is needed, and fortunately, the digitalization potential of the internet made that possible. When you expect the customer to return, you look at their first purchase completely differently. Instead of maximizing their basket size, you start considering what purchase will solve their needs sufficiently today for them to return to you when the problem reappears for them. This is the domain of subscription services, where the value of a customer is not determined by their basket size, but expressed as the sum of all their potential lifetime purchases, neatly wrapped up in the customer lifetime value metric. The longer a customer sticks around and keeps purchasing the product, the higher their LTV. Two other metrics are central here too, churn and retention. There, 
two sides of the same coin. Churn expresses how many customers leave a subscription business every month and retention measures the number of those who stay. The higher your retention, the lower your churn, vice versa. Minimizing churn and maximizing retention are paramount to the success of a subscription business. Now, let us take a look at a consumer subscription business here as an example and what retention looks like there. Dogs need food every day. And the dog food companies that are doing great today are those that have figured out the perfect size for their kibble deliveries, just big enough to make sure that the first and last scoop of dog food is as fresh as possible. Any bigger and the kibble would go stale, any smaller and it cut into their margins. Dog food subscription businesses are doing very well. As long as the pup needs the kibble, customers will stay retained. And with an optimized and incentive aligned offering, the business sells its product and the customer gets exactly what they want, customer loyalty and retention become a central consideration for the business. If you can get people to subscribe to regular deliveries, you can plan with their future revenue. Once this is part of your projections, you really want those customers to stick around. And people are generally lazy. Once they find something that works for them, they'll stick with it. This makes subscription businesses so interesting. It's so much easier to convince customers to buy again than to get them to buy for the very first time. And digital service businesses are benefiting particularly from retention, being much easier than acquisition, with low marginal costs of rendering their services and highly automated systems in place. Software is still a product, but it has distribution methods that no longer rely on physical location or shelf heights. Customers. They find software as a service solutions because they're actively looking for them. They aren't stumbling across your SaaS at the checkout counter. They came to your landing page because someone or some website suggested your business as a very clear solution to their very clear problem. All you need to do is to make it convenient for them to stick around. And here's one thing that will make people walk away from your business, manipulation. I can tell you, if I feel that you've tricked me into buying even just one single something that I didn't want, I will never trust your business again. And retention requires trust. And with trust being slowly built and quickly lost, your objective turns from maximizing sales to maximizing trust. If you want the forever transaction with your customers, this long-term business relationship that spends years and goes on beyond your actual transactions, you will need to work on being a business, a brand, and a service they can trust. So here are a few things that can facilitate building this relationship. Give your customers the chance to allow you into their world. If they allow you to stay in touch, they signal that they also care about building a long-term relationship. If your product were a mere commodity, like a lottery ticket or a chocolate bar, they wouldn't care. But if you serve them repeatedly, with a reliable and valuable product, staying in touch is in their best self-interest. You might provide even more of the good stuff in the future, and for that, permission to follow up is quickly given. And usually that takes the shape of an email list sign-up. It doesn't have to be a newsletter. It can just be a, we'll contact you when there's a reason kind of prompt. The important part is to own the medium of this permission. An email address is an order of magnitude more valuable than a Twitter follower, for example. That's because of the platform dependency issue. You can move an email list from provider to provider, so you own the list, but Twitter owns every single follower relationship. You're just a guest on their platform. And that's why an expressed permission 
to follow up is such a strong signal and asking for it will quickly show if your customers truly value your product. Customers won't let you build a long-term relationship with them if it doesn't have enough sufficient pull and can provide what they want. Permission to follow up is a great validation tool. And asking your prospects to connect with you becomes so much easier the more they know about your business already. The marketing rule of seven suggests that it takes seven points of contact before someone buys your product. That means once a prospect tries out your product, they should have seen it and the business that provides it a few times before. And that is surprisingly simple to manage when you've been building your business in public. By sharing your journey and your decision-making process and your product-building experiments, you leave traces of your long-term ambition and people look for these. Your journey is evidence of being a trustworthy builder. People who try to cheat others don't usually seek the public scrutiny of the entrepreneurial community and their potential customers. If you join the ranks of those who build in public, you'll find that people might express premature trust for your brand just a little easier. You still have to earn it, of course, but they will. And when prospective customers follow your journey before making their choice to buy, they will have built a personal history with you. You've been on their minds for a while, and that makes the ultimate conversion moment so much easier to justify for them. And you can leverage that effect systematically outside of your business relationship too. Every single customer of yours has a circle of friends and colleagues who trust them. People love making recommendations to each other. It's a reliable win-win situation generator. The recommending person establishes themselves as a trusted source of good ideas, and the person who gets the recommendation benefits from it. And businesses who've understood the power of the forever transaction, they tap into that dynamic and they make it extremely easy for their customers to recommend the product to their peers. A referral system with meaningful and empowering rewards that will significantly impact your marketing efforts because you'll have to do way less of it. When your customers become your best sales enablers, everything you direct at building stronger relationships will then positively affect your bottom line. And some people find referral systems cheesy. They prefer for their customers to do all the work themselves organically. And they're not wrong. A referral link implies that someone might not be sharing a recommendation with the pure intention of helping somebody else. But a win-win situation usually has two benefiting parties, right? Why would we settle for a system or a lack thereof where only one person wins? I believe that your customers and their prospective customer peers are better served if you do the heavy lifting of setting up a system and then allow them to use it to spread the good word about your business. And a quick note to the critics. We're still talking about money-making businesses here. If you consider building public trust and allowing people to refer their friends to be manipulation, then the tactics that I've outlined here don't really sound much different than having someone try to upsell you chocolate bars at a sales counter. But I believe there's a fundamental alignment difference here. When you're aiming to create forever transactions, you can't just hustle your customers. You will need to align your business needs as closely with the desires and wants of your customers as possible. Of course, some founders out there are attempting the long con, and you'll find countless examples of this in the world of Web3, but I digress. But those are rarely successful, and 
often found out quickly by the communities in which they happen. And upsells can still happen with the forever transaction too. The dog food company that delivers our puppy food offers a bag of treats at a substantial discount for long-term subscribers. But unlike lottery tickets, we actually need treats to train our pup. The upsell hooks into an existing and critical additional need. And we gladly add the bag of treats to our orders. The same goes for digital businesses as well. If you can provide another solution to an adjacent problem, your customers won't regret being asked if you create alignment between your offer, all of your offering, and your customers' needs. You'll find fertile soil to grow your customer relationships. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my books, Zero to Sold and The Embedded Entrepreneur. My Twitter course, find your following there as well. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.